1: Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am
0: comedy stunt performer Matt Baker. And I am comedy magician Louie Fox. We are both performers at the Moisture Festival. The Moisture Festival, if you're unfamiliar,
1: is a four-week festival celebrating variety arts in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. It is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of
0: the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in In the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. If you're listening to
1: this during the festival, be sure to buy your tickets now, because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. We're really excited about having Kate Great on the Moisture Festival podcast today.
0: And just a quick heads up, we're recording this in February of 2021. And we did this uh, interview over the internet, and there will be some mentions of doing virtual shows in the current situation. So if you're listening to this in 2028 and you're wondering why we're doing shows over the internet, that is why.
1: (laughs) She also tells us about what it's like to go to circus school, how she developed an act that not only works on the street, but also works on the stage. It's a fantastic conversation. Let's get to it.
0: Let's do it. (laughs)
1: All right, we have a professional street performer who weaves amazing circus skills and self-proclaimed bad jokes into one-of-a-kind entertainment. She's a graduate from the Quebec Circus School and has performed her show in 11 different countries. We're happy to have on the Moisture Festival podcast, Kate Great. Welcome. Yay! So my Man, first que- you- <laughs> Well go ahead, sorry.
2: <laughs> oh, I was gonna say
0: when you read it like that, it sounds very impressive. <laughs> yeah,
1: well that's all that's all stuff that we found on you. That's all your accomplishments. So congratulations <laughs> to you for sounding cool.
0: And putting that oh. that that on your website. Yes,
1: yes.
2: <laughs> Yeah. That's <laughs> my own copy read back to me. Now Thank I'm sure
1: you. <laughs> you get asked this a lot, but your the name of your show and your character is Kate Great. And it's not mm-hmm. Kate the Great. Is there a reason why there's no the?
2: Yes. And actually it it doesn't often matter that there is no the, people will put it in there themselves. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's constantly Kate the Great, Kate the Great. Sometimes even people spell it with a K, despite the fact that they're replying to an email where I've signed my name at least twice. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> But that's probably an autocorrect, a, I feel like.
2: Maybe, but it happens a lot. It's just as a Kate with a C, I've just come to expect it. And when I go to coffee shops, I I like to, like, go incognito as a Kate with a K just to see how it is.
0: Does does Kate with a K have more
2: fun than Kate with a C? (laughs) You know, I just want to know what it feels like to feel common, you know?
1: (laughs) When they call out your coffee drinker, they're like, it's Kate with a C? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, me, 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 me.
2: No, I'm not that much of a smug jerk to go to the barista and be like, excuse me, when you put my name down, just Kate with a C, thank you. <laughs> oh, when I talk to the barista, I'm like, uh, excuse me, this is is this like the coffee I've had in Italy? I'm that person. <laughs> to answer your question of why it's Kate Great, it's I like the rhyming scheme of just Kate Great. The character isn't the kind of character that would give herself a title, but she would really enjoy the rhyme. And Oh, yeah. And it's specifically Kate Great because it's like the most uh, the character is the kind of person who would pick the most obvious possible performer name and feel like a uh, like a genius for oh, it. That's like, cool. Yeah. Like, there's what seventeen thousand juggling gyms, you know? Like, it's you're a performer, you're starting out. This is amazing. Yeah. Kate Great, who would have thought of that? Apparently, a lot of people on Venmo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and apparently there's Kate Great from the Great British Baking Show.
2: Oh yeah. And Sorrell has a boot called Kate the Great, which I think is also spelled with a C. Oh, which really messes up myself googling.
1: You gotta get them you gotta get them to sponsor the Kate Great show.
0: Yeah. Or send them right? a cease and desist order and be like, I've had this longer. <laughs> Kate Great, trademark <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You have to license your own <laughs> name from the boot company. So why would you quit performing? Was it the pandemic put you out of business? No, <laughs> boot company. People thought I was boots.
1: <laughs> Most of my work comes as a foot model. Oh man! i watched a bunch of your YouTube videos. Like I, I'm gonna give you some props. Like you have some mad skills, juggling skills, hand balancing skills. And you say that you have really bad jokes, but you had a joke that made me laugh out loud on YouTube last night, which is a rare feat. And then he made me
0: stop drinking to listen to this joke. (laughs)
1: And I, you know, as a comedy writer, I was I was very I loved the joke, the bucket joke in the beginning. I won't ruin the joke. I'll just tell people oh, to go watch yeah. your YouTube videos <laughs> or see you in person. But yeah, where did the really bad is that another character decision that you came up with when you were coming up with the show was like, "Hey, this character is going to be yeah. proud of a rhyming name, but also she's going to be proud of delivering bad jokes."
2: Yeah, you know, I just thought that was an interesting tagline. This I came up with that tagline probably right after I started doing The Kate Great Show as opposed to Kate does a generic street show. Nah. Um, it just kind of seemed nice, and especially because there are definitely like a lot of very shamelessly cheesy jokes delivered with a lot of sincerity, yeah. like the bucket joke, or like I used to have a line I don't do anymore for my grand finale, I'm gonna stand on these handstand pegs with my feet. No, you know, yeah. like it's not a great joke, but it's kind of a nice character yeah. moment. Yeah, that's that's where the tagline came from.
0: Well let's I, talk I don't know. Talk about your character and how it developed. Does Hold that... on. Let's go in the wayback
1: machine, Louie.
0: Okay. Let's, tra- let's time travel
1: <laughs> to Catherine Flaherty's <laughs> origin story.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, well, I was like a barefooted kid in Florida running around teaching herself backflips on a trampoline and water skiing and inline skating and climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. Um, when I finally When I got to college, I was like, man, I can do a backflip, and I can juggle, and I can do a handstand, but how do these skills fit together? And uh, Florida State had an amateur circus that a number of my cousins had been involved in, and I just never really thought like, oh, the circus is a place where all of those things are valuable. And I, I went one day to check it out because I had had so many family members in it, and then I quit the water ski team that next week and just have been pretty much obsessed with the circus arts ever since.
1: That's amazing. So, as a kid, it sounds like you were pretty athletic, and, and so it's, it's not normal that I think people are like, oh, "I could backflip and juggle."
2: Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to backflip and juggle until much later <laughs> in my career, and now I can't anymore. So we've just gone over the little bell curve. Wait a like minute. That so, like
0: prime. <laughs> you were on the water ski team. Yeah. <laughs> we've
1: Start talked to a ma- we've talked to hundreds of amazing circus acts. We've never talked to someone who's been on a water ski team (laughs) that should be in the bio
2: yeah yeah no that was a little bit of a poetic exaggeration there my cousin was the captain of the water ski team at Florida State and when I first went to school my freshman year I was going out skiing with them and uh, within the first few weeks then I tried out for the circus and then I stopped going to the water ski team. So it's was never like officially on it, but I could do a backflip on a wakeboard.
1: Nice. Wow. So when you say try <laughs> yeah. it out for the circus, that's the Florida State Circus. And so you just auditioned and they accepted you as a water skier or a... No.
0: <laughs> you know what we <laughs> what need? It? We're building we this to... indoor <laughs> water show. <laughs> we,
2: I mean, we did have a full length three ring circus under a big top, but not an indoor water ski, oh, uh, we're, setup. No, no, we're no, on a no. set yeah, I think you guys could pull it off. <laughs> uh, no. no, um, at the time, I think the program is much is bigger now, even though we had like a hundred participants at the time, you kind of showed up and you could take a course as a PE requirement, but otherwise you could also sort of show up and start working. You could. For some acts, especially aerial acts, you had to be placed in the act or mm. placed on a team. But if you were doing something like juggling or slack rope or um, any of the other acts that are on the ground, you could kind of develop them on your own with some level of supervision. And uh, and then eventually, if you were good enough, they would put you in the show. So there wasn't like an audition process to be weeded out.
1: Gotcha.
0: What were you going to college for? Oh... Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Once I decided that I should know what I was doing and pick a major, I uh, have a degree in interdisciplinary social sciences with a focus on history and economics and a minor in theater.
1: Oh, nice.
2: Uh, yeah. So it sounds yeah. like
1: the minor played the more major role in your life.
2: It was much more useful than yeah. the other courses. Although I will tell you that like having multiple like higher level economics classes and uh, also, history classes and sociology classes does give you enough information to be like very angry about the world, but not, <laughs> enough, quali- not enough qualifications to actually take a job stopping like, the <laughs> terrible things from happening.
1: <laughs> so, based off of our research, it sounds like. You sort of went to regular college, normal people college, and then Mm -hmm. you started doing sort of ambiance stuff, sort of like performing at different events, juggling and stilt walking, and then you decided to give street performing a shot, right? Is that, is that how?
2: Yeah, here's how it, here's how it goes, friends. What I first started doing, like I did the amateur circus and I gradually fell more and more in love and my studies kind of became a little bit inconsistent. Um, On the summer times, I got a job, like working at a summer camp and then I started picking up ambient work while I was still in school. Mm. And then I did like, you know, I did like the usual juggler trajectory where, you know, you do a bunch of ambient work, you pick up some kids' shows, And then, yeah, eventually I got the theme park gig, which was really my entryway into street performing because I, uh, after graduating from college, I moved directly to Boulder, Colorado, hardly knowing anyone Mm -hmm. because I was 23. Why not? And I knew one person there who was doing circus. So I knew there was some kind of circus industry out there and in Boulder, Colorado, if you're familiar with it, there's a street pitch that's a little bit legendary and, uh, I was terrified of street. I lived there for a couple of years. All my friends worked a street, but I never wanted to. Finally in like two thousand five, I managed to like make three attempts at street performing that were entirely humiliating.
1: (laughs) Just it's
2: tough. bad like I was basically just doing backflips begging people to watch me it was so bad I was like stop and watch here's Uh, a backflip it's just
1: (laughs) it's it's painful it brings back so so many memories yeah Yeah. Uh.
2: it's awful so like a whole number of intervening things happened in the next year including an aborted circus uh, tour in Canada where they couldn't get me a visa and sent me home and then hurricanes in Florida And I found myself back in Colorado working at Six Flags at the time with Six Flags Elitch Gardens. Now I think it's just Elitch Gardens again. And they wanted me to do ambiance stuff. But eventually they were like, "Mm, you'd probably be better. You should do a show. And I was like, I should do a show. I should have a show, which I don't have. So I wrote a show Mm -hmm. for the theme park. And they had me doing five shows a day, four shows of my own, and then a production show that they had me in at night. So I was doing five shows a day, five days a week for like what eight weeks? I don't know. It was probably close to 200
0: shows. It's in a great one way summer.
1: to hammer out your character and hammer out <laughs> how to actually perform. Yeah.
0: When you it, do stuff like that, you really get good is. quick. Yeah. Or you get, mm-hmm. cert- you realize it's not for you. Yeah.
2: Basically, yes. Uh, you at least get adequate like a professional level of competence with that many shows mm-hmm. the audiences are pretty soft so it's easy to hold a crowd so you really get to kind of develop a lot of material but also you're not always getting accurate feedback on like how good that material is mm-hmm. so uh towards the end of the summer the parks were all in like financial difficulty and they decided to lay off the entire entertainment staff And so I found myself having moved back to Colorado with no income source now, like having lost my regular job. And I decided now that I had a show, I would give Street a a try. And uh, it wasn't good. It was like a typical first street show where you have like 16 finales. It was actually like, I think it was like six finales in the course of (laughs) a half an hour show. No, I have video from my first $100 show. Nice. Like kind of. I know. It's kind of like a dividing marker. Um, but I've watched this video and there is some charm to it that you could see develop later into like an actual show. But there's also like that kind of desperate early street show yeah. kind of here is a finale. Here is another finale. I did. And I'm not sure if this is in order. I did. Three ball juggling, four ball juggling, three no, three club juggling, three ball juggling, four ball juggling, uh, handstand, five balls to a neck catch to a handstand to a crocodile. And now we're at the beginning of the show.
1: So- <laughs> All right, folks, we're just a minute away from starting. <laughs>
0: you're going to see some amazing hey, stuff.
1: If you like that, you're going to love the origami crane I'm going to
0: make. Yeah.
2: <laughs> then I did then I did like I had a mat that I rolled out not a mat a piece of carpet that I rolled out and I juggled three clubs and did a forward roll over a kid then I did a mixed object juggle on a rolla-bola and then the finale was a handstand on a rolla
0: and then the show um, starts yeah. in two minutes
2: <laughs> <laughs> like honestly and all of this happened in 25 minutes
1: wow yeah
2: <laughs> I know
1: when you watch that uh, video of the first 100 dollar show you're like I'd give her $2.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was one of those times where you line up and the crowd is like really on your side. And they were super with me, which that's how you kind of get your start, right? Like you have all these terrible shows and nothing works. And then one time you get lucky and it's the right mix of people who are able to like stay engaged with you despite the like glaring gaps mm-hmm. in your show otherwise known as an entire lack of transitions. And you're just like, oh, I can do this. I can entertain. And so you don't quit in tears and you build on that. You make the show better.
1: There's a a certain type of callous that I think street performers have. It's it's a whole different level of confidence that I'm not sure I have anymore. Where it's uh, to go out there, essentially, those of you, the people who are listening who aren't familiar with what necessarily busking or street performing is, you go out. You're not paid to be there. You get a spot out on the street somewhere, and you have to gather a crowd of yep. people, transient people who are just walking by, and convince them to stop and watch you. <laughs> And then, at the end of the show, convince them to give you money. Yep. I started doing it in the beginning of my career, and it, it was demoralizing. I'm surprised I even continued
0: on. Yeah, I did it as a kid, and I suspect I only got money because I was 14 years old.
1: <laughs> They're like, here's $100, just go and practice for another year. <laughs> yeah. Come back.
2: Uh, you really have to be delusional at the beginning about your own skill level. Like you really have to just be like, no, I'm good at this.
1: Yeah. You don't know any better really.
2: No, you look back on it later. You're like, Oh God. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I look
1: at, I look at videos sometimes (laughs) when I'm beginning and I'm like, I should track those people down that watched my shows and just pay them money to thank them <laughs> yeah. for the pain that they
0: had endured. Here's your, your refund. Yeah. Really? It was so bad. <laughs> so, do you remember when you did your first theme park show because you you went mm-hmm. from being kind of an ensemble or like a solo ambient thing to your first yeah. your show. How did it go? Like in your head, how did it go? Were you like, "I'm crushing it." You're like, "Oh, lordy, I has got to work." I guess
2: You know, I had been asked to do like maybe birthday party shows in college and I had been a part of small ensemble shows. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I don't remember the first ones. I remember feeling nervous, but it was so easy to get a crowd. I don't remember that same desperate feeling that I had when I first made those attempts at street shows. Mm. Like the, the, the first street shows were just was so desperate and so sad. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: well, do you think, like, oh. psychologically, like, I at the theme park, like, I'm doing these street shows, but I'm already getting paid. Like, I already have a paycheck. Do you think there is some sort of like that comes through your personality, your psyche when you're out there? I think it's really easy to have confidence because you have three more shows. Yeah.
2: So no matter how badly you bomb it, you're still getting your paycheck. And if you bomb the first one, you've got three more. If yeah. you bomb the second one, you've got two more. If the third one is good, you can bomb the fourth one because you already <laughs> had one good one. Like, you one, one out of four. four. <laughs> hey, it's very low risk. And
0: I like I work a, a ton of fairs, and one of the things I like mm-hmm. is you're not judged on one show; you're judged on the whole of it. So, yeah, yeah. you could have that crappy morning show and still be a rock star in the evening.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that's really hard about the situation that we're in right now is that, you know, I've done a few virtual shows. But when you're doing a show, like one show every month or three, it's like this is your shot. Yep. You know, that's a lot of pressure when you're out street performing and you're like, it's 95 degrees. And you're like, I've got three more shows to do today. Like, it's fine, you know. You could just be loose. Whatever happens, happens. You could be super imaginative because you could just walk away from it at the end of the day and you have another one to do.
1: Yes. Um, you kind of did it in an interesting way because a lot of people go to circus school and then get circus jobs or shows after they've already, after the circus school. You ha- sort of had a show and then decided to go to circus school after that. Is that correct? What was the sort of deciding yeah. factor to in that?
2: So I... Weaseled my way into circus school. Here's how this went down. This was the same summer that I had the, that I had the street show and that I had the theme park gig. I was at the time 25 going to turn 26 in September. And I always wanted to be, I always, at that time I saw street performing really as just like a way to make money a way to do circus I never really thought of it as a career or a vocation or something that I would take seriously which is why I had like I just threw together a show with every trick that I could do Mm -hmm. and gave it some kind of really loose awful structure I wanted to be like you know in lights and cabaret and circus and like a big stage kind of stuff so I knew that kind of time was running out to go to circus school so, at the end of that summer, I sort of like desperately wrote the Quebec City Circus School, which was uh, at the time, like very much it, it was just beginning to come into its own mm-hmm. in the reputation that it has today. It didn't didn't quite have it. There were still some people in the professional formation that were kind of like not high level people. It was very it was also a very loose kind of school at the time, which is why I really loved working there and going <laughs> there. So I wrote to them and was like, hey, here's all the skills I have. And I put it together in a video. I was like, here's all the skills I have. Here's what I can do. I'm 25. I'm going to be 26. I feel like I'm going to run out of time for circus school. I really want to be a part of the circus school. And like auditions for school are in like uh, May. Mm -hmm. The school's auditions are in May. And this is September or August that I'm writing to them one month before school starts. (laughs) And I'm like, if you have an extra spot, you know, can you let me in? And they took two weeks. And they got back to me, and they were like, yes, we have a spot. Can you be in Quebec City in two weeks?
1: Wow. I was like,
2: yeah, I was like, sure. So (laughs) I packed up my whole life. I had taken high school French. I was 25 at the time. I was 15 when I had taken French. I didn't even know how to, like, I could read the street signs, but Mm. I'd never been to Quebec. I'd never, like, (laughs) I don't – I had crossed the Canadian border, at least. But, yeah, I'd never – I just, like, packed my whole life up in my little uh, Hyundai accent, put it in, and drove to Quebec, found a room before I got there, showed up at this guy's place that was now my place, and, like, started (laughs) learning French and going to circus school.
1: (laughs) You're like, I'm here for the room. He's like, you you must have read the French wrong. I'm selling a car. (laughs) (laughs) No.
2: Fortunately, they had somebody at the school who was like a pretty good liaison between, you know, people who were coming in from overseas or out of the country, and, you know, people who were renting rooms. And so I got I got set up in a pretty good situation. But like, I'd never met this person before. I'd never been to Quebec. I'd never like lived my life in a second language
1: mm. uh yeah i just showed up in quebec so what is does a circus school look like is there majors like minors is there uh, what's like a final exam
0: i, I, I major in pratfalls <laughs> and I, I minor in handstands <laughs> At the time I
2: was there, we didn't really have a clown
0: program, so that was a oh, separate man. kind
2: of formation. I know.
1: Did they have a carpool that was just like a little, little... <laughs> a little we m- don't have a clown program, <laughs> but the carpool. But we, we do have a carpool with a small car.
0: <laughs> no. The, no. <laughs> the, the, the Clash clowns, the guy you're like, you're going to be an accountant when you grow up.
2: <laughs> no, the school is more focused on like the more like Cirque Nouveau kind of aesthetic and the like, uh, more traditional circus disciplines, I guess, but with that modern French Canadian Mm. twist. Mm. And this school is like
1: Uh, a a big mm. sort of pipeline for Cirque du Soleil at that time.
2: Yeah, the the Montreal school, a lot of those kids were coming straight out of Montreal and going to Cirque du Soleil. Mm. Our school was much smaller, and uh, because our school was so much smaller, we had a lot more freedom. We didn't have the same level of technical coaching that Mm. they had in Montreal. But because we had like a good community feeling at the time, like the pros that had been around Quebec City for a long time came in and just hung out and trained. So you'd see people who had real careers just kind of working out and you could become friends with them. So a lot of people from my school ended up going some into Cirque du Soleil, but some into a lot into the cabarets. Mm. So the variety. So because we would come up with more interesting acts, I felt. Uh, but if you want to know what the circuit school program was like, at the time I was there, they had two different programs, a preparatory program, and then what they call a specialized program. And you can think of the preparatory program as kind of a generalist program. And then the specialized was much smaller. That was, uh, eight students, seven students selected every year. And that was a little bit more like a master's program. You had to propose an act. You had to, you you had to come up with a concept for an act and audition to get in. And once they picked you up for that program, you had specialized individual coaching, you had twice as many dance and theater classes as the rest of the school, in addition to having an artistic coach to help you develop your act, and uh, a theatrical, uh, a technical coach to help you develop your skills for that act. In the preparatory program, you had like a full day of classes, you had dance class, theater class, stretching class. Uh, conditioning class plus your major classes so you had to pick two or three disciplines that you wanted to focus on so for example some people would focus on like aerial and trampoline and handstands Mm. I focused on handstands and juggling and then because it was like a lot looser about the rules I just kind of like flitted into acrobatics until I kind of wore my joints down and then I'd jump into trampoline or then I'd do double handstands they're very permissive for me.
1: <laughs>
0: were the, were, on, what, <laughs> what's the difference between handstands and double handstands? Ooh.
2: <laughs> I would instead of having the one period for handstands, I would have two periods.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Oh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I
2: doubled up <laughs> on my focus in handstands. <laughs> no,
0: <I'm> like...
1: <laughs> now, as an act, you uh, you know, you do very high level circus stuff, but you talk mm-hmm. Quite, I mean, you tell mm-hmm. jokes and you have a character. Was there something in the – because, you know, traditional circus, there's no talking at all. And it's very mm-hmm. – typically people focus on developing a six- to eight-minute act um, mm-hmm. that they sort of do through their whole life. Yeah. Did the circus mm-hmm. school have someone there that could help you build that character for speaking? Um, how did you sort yeah. of navigate what your career is now – Um, to what you pulled out of the circus school.
2: Well, that is all thanks to the 2008 financial crash. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how this happened. I did come out of school with like a beautiful, dramatic, soulful, like handstand routine where I did handstands while balancing like uh, juggling balls. I had four inch stage balls that I would kind of like roll with my feet and it had like somber kind of pop music that was like, very emotional. And I did big eyes towards the spotlight, you know,
1: did you have those hand motions like broad, like (laughs) stretching taffy? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. This was more
2: restrained, but it was, it was fully, fully artistic circus at the time and like dramatic and very serious. And I graduated with that act and loved that act, but the bottom fell out of the entire economy. So, not a lot of places were hiring people who had single acts. I had a single act, an entire street show. And that's all I had to sell. And nobody was taking like a brand new to the scene artistic circus act. That was, it was beautiful, but it was kind of like, it was high skill, but not like bonkers high skill. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't competing with them, competing with the Russians and Ukrainians yeah. who were better hand balancers and half as expensive. Yeah. So I just... I wasn't finding any work. I did like one tour of Canada. I did a circus festival in Sweden and a whole bunch of juggling festivals and small cabarets, but it never was enough to like make a living. So I at one point found myself kind of unemployed. I kind of gained a lot of weight. and had a hard time doing handstands. Like I didn't know what was going on with my career. I was crashing at my parents' place. And I was like, well, I guess... I guess I can go back to street performing, but if I'm gonna go back to street performing, I'm gonna do it in a way that I enjoy because I didn't enjoy the show that I originally came up with. Like I liked it and I I was getting it to the point where I was making okay money because I was working in the summers between school. So I kind of took all of the artistic ideas and the artistic skills and then that I had written and the refinement of my movement and I kind of took all of that and decided that I would create a character and learn how to write comedy, like for real, as opposed to regurgitating hacky jokes or yeah. just a couple of cheap puns that I, I would learn how to really write comedy based on that character. Mm-hmm. So I sat down with like a notebook and a sketch pad and I sketched out a costume and I like wrote and wrote and wrote and I took a job at Cavalia as an usher, like actually, like just sweeping the aisles,
1: which is like so, the horse circus show, I believe it is. Yeah, and
2: it was a way to work in the circus, and it was a job that it had a finite period, right? Because that's that's the trap. If you get a job that pays well enough to support yourself, you don't want to leave because you don't know if you're going to be able to support yourself. So this job was minimum wage. It was kind of awful. But it kept me in show business. Yeah, you're around, and, you're
1: around uh, inspiring performers. You're in the business.
0: I worked my ass <laughs> from the custodian.
1: <laughs> I was sweeping horse stalls in the beginning.
0: <laughs> Yo, but
2: it was embarrassing when some of my friends came in as like special guest artists. And they would be like, Kate? And I'll be like, uh, my hey. little Usher shirt and flashlight. Hey. Hey, guys. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> But no, I would get in early and I would train every day. I like started running. I lost the weight. It was like very Rocky, like montage And uh, I was
0: writing in my little notebook. I wrote a bunch of jokes. There's, there's, when there's that... the, the Russian actor competing with getting roided up. <laughs> 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 you're, like,
1: you're passing notes to the, the boss. You're like, I don't know. Sally was out pretty late last night. <laughs>
2: That's uh, yeah, exactly how that happened.
0: Um, the, no, the, but... the Russian Kate Great goes, I must break you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Tanya harding her knees. <laughs>
2: I mean, it was Florida. Like, it's pretty rough. I mean, I mean, if you grew up in Fort Lauderdale in the 80s and you never kneecapped anyone, I don't even know what you're yeah. doing with your life. Like.
0: That was your final exam at Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings me to a question that's been killing me. Apparently, you yeah. do extreme juggling? Ooh. Oh,
2: man. That,
0: uh, oh, I wish no one found out about this thing I put on my website. <laughs>
2: Did I put it on my website? That's where I no, got
0: I guess that. I did. It says that. Um, and you are a champion. 2006 I, champion of extreme juggling. So I'm not a juggler. So, so I don't even know what extreme. I mean, extreme juggling, I would imagine, right. is like juggle it's, fighting, but cooler uh, than no, juggle it's, fighting. It's
1: juggling, but also having a personality.
2: <laughs> it's. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a skill that eludes many jugglers. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm. I'm going to fit. I'm going to finish. I'll tell you about the extreme juggling, but I'm going to finish my Rocky montage. Okay,
1: sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look, you are getting in the way of my ego. This is <laughs> my triumphant <laughs> return of like fucking, this is the birth of cake right? Yeah. Now, okay. All right. Friend.
1: okay. We're at I Calivari. Took this show,
2: Cavalia. Cavalia. Yeah, <laughs> to Cavalia. Cavalia raps. I get in my car with nowhere to stay, drive to Key West and just show up at the pitch to get some spots. And it's pretty cutthroat down there. There's like a lottery. And if you're a new act, you either don't get a spot or you get a spot like next to a band or a spot that's so far away that there's no humans around to gather as a crowd. But I took this little show and I tried it out and it was terrible and it failed, but it was like, and I ended up like crashing with somebody who was just kind enough to take me in. And I did the show and there was a spark. It was enough money that I went back to Quebec city to develop the show further. And then later took it to, to Boulder. And then it just started rolling. And, um, and that turned into my career. And then to sidebar back to your question about extreme juggling, extreme juggling, this is like at the very tail end of like the extreme sports craze, you know, it's probably like five years out of date from all of that X game stuff. Mm -hmm. But Essentially at the IJA, Jack Calvin and a few other people decided that they were going to just have like a best trick competition that was just like, you know, throw your biggest, craziest, most intense tricks. You got 20 seconds and like three attempts to do it and the best tricks got voted on and you win. And so I did, I was kind of drafted into the first year that they were just testing it out. And in the three ball division, I did a one up forward roll where I came out of the forward roll kneeling and caught the ball that I had thrown under my leg and kept juggling it. Oh, oh. wow. So. Boom,
1: 2006, 2006 champion. Yeah. yeah. Bam. Well,
2: yeah, That's... I had so many healthy
0: joints at that age. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that is interesting, is like how, I mean, I'm a magician, so like the physicality is not my strong suit. Like, how does that, aid, like do you, do you are you conscious of you aging within your act?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm forty now, and uh, feels that way. What I have done, I, I sort of really set myself up to be able to age into my act. Like I never did like a super sexy, sexy act to begin with. Um, I kind of developed a character that works at any age, and then as far as skills go. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, like I used to do trampoline, I used to do tumbling, I used to do flying trapeze, Chinese pole, like all of this stuff that was very physically demanding and wears down your body. But by the time I got into my mid 20s, I decided that if I did all of that stuff, I would be good at a lot of things, but I would never be excellent. So I narrowed down my focus to handstands and juggling, the two disciplines that take the most practice out of all (laughs) of them. I didn't have much of a social life, so you know
1: <laughs> now <laughs> just beca- practice all the time. Becoming so. like a professional street performer, busker, variety entertainer. We see this at the Moisture Festival. It's it's a very male-dominated industry. Um, what are some of the sort of challenges that you've run across? You, is, is there a different reaction you feel like, is it harder? Because, you know, a lot of my standup comedy friends, they say they make stupid stuff like females have a harder time getting laughs. Like, do you feel that, that, what are the things that you ran up against and how is it being a successful female in the variety world?
2: So we could do an hour just <laughs> on this.
1: <laughs> We have time. But I'll
2: give you like I just I'll give you the gist. So one thing that happens, really, and I see this with um, new folks entering into the variety sphere, um, especially street performing is that women are often taught not to fail or that you can't publicly fail, that it's humiliating to be a failure, right? So what happens when you first street performing? you suck. It doesn't matter. I don't care what theater school you went to, how long you've spent writing your show, how much you've prepped for it. You're going to be terrible. It's just very, very difficult. And it is, it's humiliating and dispiriting. And even I did, you know, three attempts and just gave up. For me, the theme park gig in itself allowed me to skip all of that because I had to do a show and the crowds were soft and it was easy. So I had that I had that like little cocoon to grow and develop so that when I brought my show back out onto the street, even though like I had to learn how to street perform, which is a separate skill from developing a show and being an entertainer, I only had one thing to learn. Mm. I only had to learn to do a street show. Yeah, And that made the whole experience a lot less stressful. And I had the confidence that I could complete a show was when you start street performing, you don't get to finish the show. If you're bad, yeah. you, just leave. Like,
1: <laughs> you get to practice that beginning a whole lot.
2: Yeah. So you don't even know what does work because you never get the chance to get through your material. Yeah.
1: When you get to the point where you ask for money, you're like, I don't know. I've never gotten this far. I've never been <laughs> exactly. able to ask an audience for money. What's <laughs> your hat pitch?
0: I don't know yet.
2: So that helped me a lot. Kind of give me a boost at the beginning. And then as I developed and, 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 and as I kind of came through my career, I kind of f- fell into what, what I kind of think of as like the puppy curve, which is when you start street performing, oftentimes people are like, oh my God, it's a woman street performer. We're so excited to have you on the pitch. We're gonna help you. We're gonna teach you a bunch of stuff, aside from the people who are outright hostile, which is mm-hmm. a totally different you know, thing. But people are like, oh my God, it's so good. You're, uh, you're learning and we'll give you advice. And then you start to get like mediocre. And once you start to get mediocre, it's like, you know, oh yeah, you can teach a puppy to walk on its hind legs, but it's not people. Mm -hmm. Right. So once you get into this middle ground, people are like, oh, you think you're so good, but you're really trash. And why do you even try? (laughs) You know, it's, it's hard. It's a hard spot to plow through. And I was lucky that on the pitch, a lot of the people out there were had been friends of mine for years. So I was able to, was able to get through it, but I, I really felt that and I've really seen that happen to a lot of women and it's It's discouraging because you'll put a man who's like in the middle of a man who comes to the pitch, looks around on the pitch, sees these guys who are good and they like uh, speaking of the puppy curve. Uh, okay, you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs>
1: I, I got a cat on one side meowing and a dog what? freaking out
2: about the dog. You're just just it's just slowly hotness. building a domestic menagerie <laughs> around
1: you. It's like West Side Story. I feel like there's like yeah. snapping happening and like.
2: So, you know, a, a male street performer comes to the pitch and they see a path to glory that's laid out for them. Mm. So even if they're medium level people kind of assume that they either are better than they are or that they have potential. But once a, once a woman hits a medium level, people look at them and they don't see any women that are good. And they sort of, and and they've probably seen a lot of women who were bad because they weren't able to get past that developmental failure stage and quit. Mm. So they see all they have for reference is women who are not good at performing. And they see this woman who's not excellent. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, you're trash. You're never going to amount to anything. And it's, it's it's it can be very discouraging, yeah. but I'm an egomaniac, so I just kind of kept <laughs> grinding away at it. Nailed it. <laughs> totally delusional. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking the pros about? Of I'm being no good. So I made forty five dollars. Thank you very much. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, stuff that I actually do notice on the street there's so many other like little things and i've spent a lot of time thinking about all of this so one thing i notice is that stock lines just don't work for me oh, so i have had to write my own stock lines if if i start a show like a lot of guys can start off a show with with kind of meaner lines you know yeah but if i do that i'm really perceived as hostile and people won't come up to me like you have to either you have to be like warm and inviting or like Lisa Lampanelli cruel way. Over like you the top. can't, yeah. Like you can't kind of have those like kind of smug dismissive
1: interesting lines
2: yeah. to build a crowd. People really take it poorly. So, uh, I came up with a style that's like mean, but also very inviting. So <laughs> to gather my crowd, I'm like, oh my God, ma'am, I love those boots. Do you know where those boots would look great? Like right here on my front row. And so, <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, I just love your top. That is a great top. And ma'am, your top, your top is excellent. And sir, you are wearing a top. Could you just stand right yeah, here? Thanks yeah. so much. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's like warm and welcoming. Yeah, absolutely. But also the character is not aware of how rude the things she says are, mm-hmm. which makes it okay.
1: I, well, you, you know, it's like always starting with a compliment before you give someone <laughs> negative <laughs> feedback.
2: Yeah, you know, this a, a little rule of three. Uh, so, you know, nice, nice, mean.
0: So, something <laughs> I love asking street performers because so you perform mm-hmm. at the Moisture Festivals, which is an indoor venue. Yeah. What is your yes. indoor opener? Ooh.
2: So, I actually have not done comedy at the Moisture Festival yet. Oh. Um, because, you see, I'm a well-rounded performer with a <laughs> minor in theater from a second-tier state school. No, Florida
1: State is a good school. Well, yeah, well, so um. on website, you, you, like, you do lots of stuff. You have indoor stuff, and that's, uh, like, yeah. I don't want to pigeonhole you as
0: just a street performer because you do a lots of different stuff.
1: Oh, so this, I was going to say,
0: most street performers, when you see them indoors... They don't have an opener.
1: Yeah, well, they have a hard time adjusting, you know, because they, you know, they already have a captive crowd. <laughs> yeah. And, and usually some of their show is, you know, building that crowd, building rapport. And so I've I've seen street performers have a harder time adjust and you don't seem to have that.
2: No. So was a little bit of adjustment. But again, I have that like classical nouveau cirque training, if you can call it that. Um, so I have been trained to do circus and cabaret. And I have also done enough shows that I know that I don't need to build up. I've also seen street performers bomb. The, the, the thing for me, when I look at building a show or creating an act, I look for the core of what works. So with street performing, when I went to build and structure a show, instead of like stealing stock lines and stock bits, I looked at the stock lines and I looked at the stock structure and I was like, why does this work? And then I took out all of the things and put my own things in there. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I learned from street performing is how to be present and how to be alive on stage and how to breathe with a crowd and how to make the show feel like not something that I'm doing at the crowd, but something that they're experiencing with me. Mm -hmm. So when I do a cabaret act with like the moisture festival or anywhere else that I'm doing an indoor cabaret act, it's taken a lot of work, but I try to hold on to that core of what performing means to me and put that on the stage as opposed to being married to my street Absolutely. show bits.
0: Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that answer. How did, how did you get involved in the Moisture Festival? Well,
2: five years ago, I started developing this, is it five? Maybe it's six years now. Um, I started developing a rolla Bola act. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I'm getting a little bit older in handstands the one arm is like
1: i
0: didn't say you were getting older hard. no
1: but it's that was true. not on your website by the way
0: there's, there's, kate there's a, Gray, a, getting older getting older got and bad jokes there's an asterisk <laughs> at the bottom like disclaimer kate great is getting older
2: well I, who was it? it was like dan holzman like said i think it was him who was like you know when i first started my career i was pretty good for my age and then i was just good and now i'm pretty good for my age again yeah. and that's kind of <laughs> that's where I'm headed and I'm fine with that uh, no but I developed you know the handstands I only do like three handstands in my show anymore and they are pretty good skillful handstands but man it's starting to you know it's hard yeah so I decided to like I decided I don't want to progress anymore in handstands I want to maintain my skill level I'm very happy with what I've achieved and what I can still do So I don't want to progress in handstands, but I want to learn something new. So I decided to develop this Rollabola act and I put it together. And when you have a new act, you can't just like really sell it on the market, especially something as like titchy as Mm Rollabola, because you, you can't just like train Rollabola in a studio and then put it in front of an audience where they're paying you like a really solid fee as a professional, because you're going to be nervous. You're going to have the shakes. You have to get used to doing that, like calming the adrenaline so that you don't, um, Fall, you know, like, uh, and so I was just looking for different venues and I had done a bunch of juggling festivals and I had worked with Tim first at, um, the Burlington Busker Festival Mm -hmm. and, uh, the Festival of Fools in Burlington, excellent busking festival. If you guys are uh, in that area or ever get a chance to do it really well run, excellent people. And I knew that moisture festival was a venue where you could perform I don't, you know, it's a great festival. So I don't, I wouldn't say like fresh out of the box, new material that might bomb. But if you wanted to polish and get a bunch of repetitions in this, it's exactly the venue for it. Mm.
0: And, uh, and they took me and then I crushed it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Rocky music starts playing. (laughs) And and then Rocky two starts.
2: (laughs) And the guy from predator (laughs) dies. I'm not going to lie. Like moisture festival audiences are some of the like most welcoming and inviting audiences I've ever worked for. And if you are jaded and cynical, you could almost think like, oh, is the act really good? Or are these people just like too easy of an audience? But I really think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think that when you have an audience that's on your side, yes, you can kind of like, they'll stay with you if you're kind of boring, but if you're good, you can go so much farther because yeah, you yes. don't have to you don't have to work against them to win them over which is what you have to do on the street street
1: yeah so it's just it's such
2: a glorious feeling to just come out <laughs> i take a few seconds to breathe and just allow the audience to kind of come to me yeah
1: well, on and the flip side on, side, on the flip side, like I've gone out there and bombed. And I'm like, how bad am I? And <laughs> this, this audience is so good. What are you good. doing with your life? That's are amazing. you sure like, this job is for you? Exactly. You, you walk <laughs> off stage, like, oh my God.
0: I had a joke one time and I got a, um, um, at the festival and I got like a, ooh. And I was like, what did I just say?
1: <laughs> it's kind of like a yeah. busker festival where they are there with the intention of seeing silly and unusual stuff and they're on board already. You don't have to convince them that you're good. They, they bought the ticket. They're yep. there. They want to see it. And it's yeah, nice they to are
2: play skeptical. Yes. 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 They just want to see you do well and you can bore them, you know, <laughs> you, you can, I have you done, can yes. lose them,
0: <laughs>
2: but you have them to begin with. And it's just, it's just magic. Yeah. I'm not going to say how many standing ovations I got at Moisture Fest. I heard it was
1: just, a record. I it, They have it carved. What's it? There's a plaque on the wall <laughs> that says <laughs> 17 standing ovations and in says, a six-minute
0: set. And this is Kate the though. <laughs> so. Her six-minute <laughs> set, her, her
1: six set turned into a 30-minute set because of all the standing ovations.
0: We had to cancel the next three shows because people wouldn't sit down. <laughs> That's all true. <laughs> all
1: right. So we just have a few more questions for you. Now, one question is Since you're a street performer and also went to circus school, did you pay off your circus debt, student loans, with cash?
2: No, but I did pay it off very slowly. I evaded this. So it's, the it's like I, actual college. I, I, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> Luckily, at the time I went there, it was very inexpensive. Um, it was like, I think my first year was like 1500 and my second year was like 3k. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was super inexpensive. It's much more expensive now, but that it's also like for years later. So, (laughs) uh, but even still, like I, I paid it off by street performing in the summer. I finally paid off my first year before the second year began. And then I think I paid off my second year. Because I, expect- I did the first year in the preparatory and the second year in the specialized. And uh, I paid off my second year probably sometime uh, about a year and a half after I graduated. I, I, I think you were going to go a year I and did. a half ago. No, 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 no. It, um, I did mention that financial crash, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, going forward, are you expecting, like, the cash shortage to affect busking?
2: Man, I don't know. I have... Absolutely. No idea what's going to happen with the cash shortage. Um, I'm really hoping that doesn't affect me, but I don't, you know, people are so used to doing cashless. Now, there are some ways you can take cashless payments and and over the last few years that has caught on and that has been actually helping bring my hat totals back up after a bit of a dip. And you know, I don't know, so many people have been unemployed for so long, but then some so many people have also been employed with nothing to do mm-hmm. or spend their money on, so it's really Yeah. I I don't know what's going to happen when we open back up. I I hope that there'll be like this burst of pent-up energy and entertainment.
1: Now, I do a podcast with a magician. What is it like living with a magician? Cuz I believe <laughs> I I I think I read that you live with the magician. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, like, first of all, magicians are hardly people. I don't think they should have gotten the vote in seventy eight, <laughs>
0: but you know yeah, right?
1: <laughs>
2: no. Oh my god, no, please.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> magician's magician suffrage.
2: They're just gonna I like that you guys are just gonna edit
1: me Oh out no, that's the end there for and sure. I'm
0: be
2: black. <laughs> it's just none of the like that was a joke and here's my real answer. You're just gonna put it there, cut it, and I'll never be allowed no, it in no. another magician's space again. It's actually fantastic. It is fantastic to have a roommate that is not only a very talented performer, but also another female street performer. We're able to, you know, come home and we'll often workshop ideas together. We'll work on bits together. Um, You know, she is developing, she has developed this Boston magic lab that's grown into such a really wonderful concept that has now that they've gone virtual, they've had performers from all over the world and more diversity than you've ever seen in any magic
1: show. That's awesome.
2: So it is, and I got the host guest host one time, and it's just a fantastic crew of people, and uh, I'm so happy that, you know, she's been able to kind of, like, uh, I met her on the street, like, literally, we were street performing together, and we just became close friends, and when a room opened up in my apartment, like, I convinced her to come in, and it's just been, um, it's just been really excellent.
0: Yeah. See, Matt, people can have a positive experience sharing a space with a magician. (laughs) It's... That's not it's his. Sh- that's well, not I've never his heard reading. of a
1: magician paying rent before. But <laughs> I always sleep on my couch.
0: <laughs> I don't sleep on your couch. I sleep in the spare <laughs> How room. You do. You I sleep
1: in the spare room. <laughs> right. Now, I, I imagine doing the level of physicality that you do, you've had some tough spills. And I saw the video of you doing the tri- as a triple high or a double high rollabola. I've had some mean spills on rollabolas before. I would imagine you have also. Is there one that stands out that you're like, oh man, I probably shouldn't have done rollabola or handstands again after that spill, but I did. Is there something that stands out?
2: Well, I mean, when I was in my, actually, the most dangerous of all the circus uh, disciplines I've ever worked on is trampoline. Um, oh, wow. I had a ugly, ugly, ugly tib fib fracture. Um, like I completely broke my tibia and fibula on the bed of a trampoline, not like a backyard trampoline, like a real gymnastics trampoline broke on the bed. And that was a very uncomfortable oh, day. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it was a year before I could tumble again. Um, and, and I'm not going to lie. I, uh, have not done a lot of trampoline since then yeah. I did a, maybe Once I recovered, I did like a little bit, but I just kind of gave up.
1: You're like, maybe it's Uh, time to go back to water skiing.
0: (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Something (laughs) safer. Something safe.
2: But in a show, I've really, I mean, aside from like sprained ankles and twisted ankles, and you know, I've taken uh, on the roller bowl, I've taken some very surprising falls on the five stack, but nothing where I've like really eaten it, especially not in a show. Um,
1: That's nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I am a trained acrobat. I've been able to like keep my center of gravity over me and I'll usually fall on my feet, but it's like, it's very fast. You learn exactly how fast gravity actually is because uh, when, when those cylinders shift on you, a lot of times they'll just like the whole five stack will just kind of shoot out sideways mm. from underneath you. And then you fall straight down onto the table, onto your feet and it happens in 9.8 meters per second squared. Like, yeah. just boom. You're just like, you're just all of a sudden, you're like on a five stack, and then you're like two feet lower or two and a half feet lower. You're just like, boom. boom. And it's like, oh, hi, everyone.
0: Yeah. And Hello. They, <laughs> sorry, kid. I just blasted in the face with a rollerball.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not great, but. Uh,
0: you're like, you don't know my no,
2: real
1: no. name. <laughs> it's Kate with a K. <laughs> I'm out of here. You grab your sack of cash and run. <laughs> the police Pretty is like, much. "Was it Kate the Great or was it just Kate Great? That seems <laughs> <Kate> a little <laughs> weird." Because <laughs> all I'm getting my Google list is boots. Yes. <laughs> <Some> you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is important though.
2: Actually, when I learn a new skill, especially one that's dangerous, is as I'm going through the progression. I didn't just start learning a five stack. I learned a you know single rollabola and then a two stack and then a three stack and then four stack and then a five stack and, and at each phase. I learned a number of different bales. So I learned how to do each phase of the skill progression relatively safely. It's a little bit chaotic and weird stuff can happen at any point. But each phase, I learned how to do the trick relatively safely before I moved on to the next step. So what the audience sees as the final product is actually the result of quite a lot of work, as opposed to like, hey, I bet this would work.
1: Yeah. Well, I like to subscribe to the Murphy's Law where it's, if it can go wrong, it has gone wrong in the show. And mm-hmm. I guess that's not the case for you, yeah. but for me, definitely.
0: <laughs> well,
1: I, mean, gone wrong. <laughs>
2: I have had it go wrong, but not badly enough that I would injure myself so far. Cause at any point that was me knocking on wood okay.
1: ah. because
2: it could, you know, at any point it could go wrong, but I also like really work hard to make sure that it's as safe as possible. And there are some skills, that I have learned where there's no good escape from it. Like if it goes wrong, you're going to hurt yourself. And none of those skills will I put, even though like technically they're interesting to watch or learn, I won't put any of those in a show because you know, if you're going to do this a thousand times, it's going to go bad at some point.
1: Well, Well, we, we, it's been a treat to like, you know, watch all your YouTube videos and find out more about you. Um, I highly recommend if you're listening to this and you have not seen Kate great, see her, look at her website, KateGreat.com, see where she's performing and just go down the wormhole of cool YouTube videos that she has out there. It's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend it and Um, it's been awesome to listen. Is there any other social sites that you want to plug Instagram, Facebook, there's
2: like a minimal one, the Kate Great show, and the main one, if you're a juggling nerd and you like nerdy juggling and you like nerdy juggling practice videos with cute, endearing endings, Kate Juggles is my uh my juggling account.
1: Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Now so again, that's uh Kate Juggles is their juggling account. KateGreat.com is the show page. Check that out mm-hmm. and uh Yeah, we hope to get you back at the Moisture Festival soon. So to break your world record of standing ovations.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, but seriously, I would really love to come back. And hopefully one of these times I'll get to come back and I'll be able to do a comedy set and... As many different ways that I can perform for the Moisture Festival audience, I am open to doing it.
1: Yeah. Just watching you, I can see why they gave you so many standing ovations. (laughs) (laughs) What an egomaniac. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. It was great talking to you. (laughs)
2: Thanks. It was really a pleasure.
0: (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much.
1: That's it for today, folks. want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org.
0: If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Offbeat Podcast. You can get on all of the podcast places: iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah, if you like this
1: podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird, (laughs) (laughs) and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So
0: we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for
1: listening and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival site. They also have a Facebook page an Instagram page and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast and we hope to see you soon. See you there.